Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, Joe and Alex here with Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. This is a pretty exciting podcast that we have coming up with Kent Clothier. But first, Alex, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing okay. It's awesome to have the man, myth, the legend, Kent Clothier on the call here with us. Can you believe we've not had him on before? Yeah. I mean, we've had all kinds of uh, REI uh, rich and famous people, and now we've got the man, Kent Clothier. I'm telling you, I've been using Kent's stuff for years. And the other, about a few weeks ago, I was like, I've, wait a minute. I know Kent, right? And I've never had him on the podcast. I'm like, why not? I mean, so I texted him, and he's so busy. Um, and I, I finally like, was pestering him, and he said, okay, okay, fine. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, it was, uh, I'm excited to have him on here because we're going to be talking about some really simple, basic things. But I'm telling you, when people figure this out and start doing this stuff in their business, their business will explode. And the simple, basic, fundamental stuff that so many people forget, they get all fancy into the latest tricks and, and secrets, quote unquote, you know, but it really <laughs> comes down to just simple, basic things and being really, really good at those simple, basic things, right? Some might even call it being brilliant at the basics, but I don't know about that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great title for a book, isn't it? <laughs> being brilliant at the basics. By the way, if you want my book, guys, I wrote that book. Go to freebasicbook.com. <laughs> but this is, uh, I, I want to jump right into Kent. Normally we shoot the breeze a little bit, Alex. And, yeah, let's get to the man. Uh, Kent is here all the way from, are you still in La Jolla, Kent? I am. Oh, that place is sucky, miserable. That's horrible here. The slums of La Jolla. And, <laughs> uh a couple years ago, Kent, I was spending some time in your office helping you get some things set up with Podio. Um, and you have an amazing, you live in an amazing place. You work real close to where you live, right? Uh, about 500 yards. You got it, man. Oh, it's just a cool place. And I uh, love San Diego. In fact, I might be coming out there next week for the uh, CG Mastermind. Um, so the uh, San Diego is a really, really awesome, beautiful place. And you are doing deals, Kent, all over the country, and you have a huge education business. You have a software business, and you're still doing deals with uh, Memphis Invest and Dallas Invest. And is there another one, too? Don't you have Houston? Houston, Houston. yes. Houston Invest. And how many, how many deals a month are you guys doing with those three different companies there? Right now, we average uh, 55 deals a month. That's insane. <laughs> that's I, I, really good i think it's more than you and i are doing alex right it might be <laughs> maybe i'll have to look at my books <laughs> i think it is um kent you got started you were in the grocery business i've heard you talk about before right i was yeah not the not the traditional grocery business but yeah that's kind of where i got my my uh my phd and uh how to build a business and lose it <laughs> But you also learned a little. So you're a systems guy, which I love, right? Um, you, you, and I've heard you talk about this before. I think, and maybe I'm sticking my foot in my mouth, but you, know, you learned some things in that through that experience 
of how to create systems, right? Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you got into real estate from that background? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I started in business when I was 17, right? So basically, I got into an arbitrage business, of all things. Uh-huh. And I, we had figured out a way, my father and I had figured out a way to find truckloads of groceries um, where the manufacturer was selling them at a discounted price in one market and go into that market, buy them by the truckload and turn around and go ship them into another market where they were being sold at, you know, a significantly higher price. So call it Kraft Mac and cheese, right? I would go in and I buy an entire truckload of Kraft Mac and cheese from a distributor in San Diego, California for the whole truck would be $40,000 and then turn around and ship it up to San Francisco and sell it for $60,000. And through that business, um, you know, what started off as a little wholesale business where we we're just kind of flipping a few truckloads of groceries here or there and making some nice money turned into a multi-million and then ultimately a multi-billion dollar business. You know, by the time I was 30, we were doing almost $2 billion a year. Um, seventh largest privately held company in the state of Florida. And so I say it jokingly, right, getting my PhD, but seriously, from the time I was 17 till the time I was 30, it was a, I, I was just banging away, building a really, really big business and just didn't know anything else but that. And along that way, certainly learned a lot about uh, how to scale a business, how to go in and really tap into certain certain um, supply and demand aspects of businesses that most people just kind of seem to ignore. And I think specifically, kind of like what, certainly from a system standpoint, um, learned how to tap into really simple concepts. Like I said, that were I always or I used to always say that you know these things are just kind of hiding in plain sight. Really simple concepts that ultimately have turned around. And, and when I left the grocery industry, we put them into real estate. And what do you know, it just happened to work over here again. And now it turned a really same kind of example, right? A small hobby real estate business has turned it into a real estate empire just by following a very, very simple, straightforward formula that is, again, just hiding in plain sight. Yeah, and this is so key, um, talking about these basic, simple things and being really good at them. Uh, and we'll talk about reverse wholesaling in a second, and the whole concept of finding cash buyers. Uh, you built the de facto go-to software for this in the entire industry, and nobody else has anything that compares to it. Um, but rewind even a little bit further. So did you start doing deals in Memphis? Is that where you guys kind of started? Yeah, the way I got into the real estate business uh, was I walked out of the grocery industry, right? Basically, I got um, fed up with my partners, got into a spat, and I was so young and ignorant and just full of crap, 30 years old, that I uh, just walked out one day, right? And thought I had the whole world figured out. Ultimately didn't, but I, I sure thought I did uh, because I'd never failed at anything. And, you know, again, from 17 to 30, I had been a rock star, right? You don't build a $1.8 billion business and not enjoy it uh, along the way. So I had all the trappings. I had all the the cars and the boats and the jet skis. And, you know, I had it all. And the houses on the water and down in Boca Raton, Florida. So when I walked out, I decided I was going to go and stay in the grocery industry and build just build uh, basically a competitor. And I had about $2 million in savings. 
And over the course of 22 months, I proceeded to lose everything. Um, wow. Just figured out the hard way what I didn't know about running a business uh, and how many other moving parts there really were out there and basically just almost like a gambler at a at the at the crafts table just chased it the whole way down and before I knew it I was effectively bankrupt and out of business and so that ultimately led me to real estate because okay. I was sitting there much like a lot of people that I'm sure of are listening here is, you know, I, I'm a product of one of those late night infomercials. It's really, really difficult for me to badmouth those, um, you know, that, that way of selling or that whole marketing technique because the reality of the situation is, is I would not be here today if it hadn't been for that. Mm-hmm. I, I walked into one of those seminars, got, you know, riled up. This guy was selling a wholesaling course for $1,000 from the front of the room. I went and I bought it, scared the hell out of me. Uh, but I was just motivated enough and just desperate enough to make it work. What year was this? Kid? Yeah, who was the guru? It was uh, Russ Whitney, and this was in oh. December of 2002. Wow, right? That's like right after – that must – yeah. I went to a Russ Whitney seminar in 2003. <laughs> he was, yeah, uh, so I, I was there, man, and I went through it. And, and, and um, you know – Basically, what happened for me as I'm sitting there, wa- you know, watching these guys talk about this, and I'm I'm doing the math. I'm like, wait a minute, I just did this in groceries. This is wholesaling. I get this. Yeah. You're ta- you're talking my language now, and um, I started quickly connecting a lot of dots. And so I think I probably approached it significantly different than most. Well, I know that to be true, right? I mean, you, we've all been in those rooms. Ninety nine percent of those people aren't going to do anything, unfortunately. Um, and I was that one percent that, like, man, I got this. I know how to make this work. And um, I was in West Palm Beach, Florida, and I did ninety deals in the first eighteen months and just killed it. Made a million dollars, and I thought I was on top of the world. Huh. Um, and then basically, the way we got to Memphis was fast forward. Oh God, you know, three years later. So call it two thousand and six. Um, we basically started figuring out that people that were down in Florida where I was were getting pretty nervous because they were buying on appreciation. Yeah. And so this was, I mean, we were, West Palm Beach was the epicenter of the meltdown, right? I mean, we were that market. We were the ones that basically, if you've ever seen the movie, The, uh, the Big Short, I mean, they're, the one yeah. city they go to is South Florida, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. because that's literally the way it was. I mean, if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan and you could get five of them. And so um, being a wholesaler down there, I, w- I mean, I was basically buying stuff straight out of the MLS at list price, at retail. And I'd put a sign in the yard and I'd flip it for 50000 more two weeks later. That's amazing. Wow. It's just, <laughs> it's just stupid. I was going to ask you how you were doing your deals. And that, that's well, <laughs> that's not how I started doing the deals, but that's certainly how I ended up doing the deals, right? Okay. It just got too easy. And then luckily, I mean, I got hurt like a lot of people did down there, but luckily we kind of saw some of the writing on the wall and I, I was forced, my buyers that I was buying from were, were kind of telling me, man, this is some scary stuff. We'd like to buy some cash flow properties. And that was non-existent in South Florida. What a, what a great idea doing what your buyers want. I want to talk about this later, shopping versus selling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, by talking to the buyers, we were beginning to understand that, uh, well, we had a handful of buyers that were just getting really, really nervous. And so I 
bought some plane tickets, flew some people up to Memphis, Tennessee. My dad, the irony of this entire thing is that, you know, I have a pretty complicated, uh, or back then I had a pretty complicated relationship with my father because I've been in business with him a lot over the years. So we were at one of those periods where we weren't really talking a lot, but ironically, he's back there doing real estate as well back in Memphis, Tennessee. So I happened to pick up the phone and call him and say, man, you know, what, what kind of deals are you doing out there? I've got some buyers. I think I can bring them up there. Can we arrange something? And so as, as fate would have it, that's kind of, I brought some people up to Memphis, Tennessee, started showing them around, showing my dad's wholesaling business in there. They got excited about it. They started buying from Memphis. One thing leads to another. Now I'm bringing 5, 10, 15, 20 people up there. And before I knew it, uh, my entire business, thank God this happened, right? Because my entire business shifted to Memphis right when the market collapsed. And even those buyers that you were bringing up there to Memphis to buy these properties probably were not hammered, at least in Memphis, right? Because they were buying on fundamentals. They were, these properties cash flowed, Right. Oh, totally. That's all they were buying for, right? They were not buying for appreciation. Basically, when you're on a roller coaster um, of the up and down and the scary stuff that was going on in that kind of market, mm-hmm. and which we're starting to get into some of it now all over again, yeah. um, slow and steady looks pretty sexy, baby. You well, know? And, that's what, and that's what Memphis was. It was 2 3% appreciation every year and had been for 30 years. How much did the market fall in Memphis, would you say? Not much. Not much. It was how like much? Five, 5 to 10%. And how much did the rents fall? Not much. They didn't. Basically, probably. they started going up. Yeah. What happened, right? Put more pressure on the rental market, so the rents started going up. This is why I love wholesaling, number one, too, because uh, with wholesaling, you, it's, the, the real estate market's not like the stock market, where it, it can fall on a dime, and literally, you open your eyes, and you're, you're down 20 30%. Um, but with real estate, the market turns are a lot slower, and you can see that writing on the wall. But when you're wholesaling, you're never going to get stuck with your pants down at your ankles, right? Because you're never holding on to these properties. And when you do hold on to properties, you're buying cash flow real estate that's based on the fundamentals. So in my opinion, wholesaling is so much safer than, uh, than being speculative investing, right? No doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, you're just not in it long enough to get hurt. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, if you're wholesaling and you are... You are the speculator. You're buying on the hunch that you can get it sold to somebody. I would say that's taking on a level of risk that's unnecessary. Sure. Well, Alex is doing a lot of new home construction right now, right, Alex? You still doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I've got um, about, well, depends on how a uh, court hearing goes, but uh, it'll be between 15 and 20 different houses that we're doing. Nice, dude. Yeah. So but That's awesome. in, in the context of this conversation, Alex, do you start, are you thinking, are you getting a little nervous about, you know, the yeah, marketing? Actually, yeah, I do. Um, but I know that the market is not going to drop out overnight. Uh, and we're in these properties enough to where we could sell them and break even if, you know, if we had to, if it came down to it. So, you know, like for instance, um, uh, you know, we bought. I bought one. One I call it. You know, call it a twofer. I'm buying. Bought one lot, split it in two, put two houses up. We buy it for. Uh, what did I buy that one for? Sixty five. Split it in two. So now my lot's cost is uh, thirty two five each, and we build for about a hundred and 
Uh, those will probably be about 115, including demo. So, you know, you're in it at 150 ish, 160. And our out sale price on that would be like two, 230. So, if things and started to turn, you could sell it at least to break even. Yeah, and, and get my private investor his money back. Yes. All right. New so, construction is flying off the shelf right now. How much longer? Kent, what do you see in the market right now? How much longer is new construction going to fly off the shelf? Well, dude, there's, I mean, there's, I think we're in a housing shortage, right? So I think that, that as long as you're, you're playing to the, you're not playing to the top of the market, I think new construction, it's a great, great place. Yeah. To be. Yeah. 225, 230 is very uh, median. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I came across a lot today where, um, you know, it's 10.3 acres and we would, you know, you could only, it was in an area where you had to have septic systems and well and stuff like that. So you would have to put, you'd have to make sure you're on three acre tracks um, and you can only get three houses out of it. However, those houses are selling for anywhere between five and 750,000. That's, that's too much for me. I, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Kent, um, Alex is in Virginia beach area. Gotcha. Gotcha. Kind of explains. Gotcha. But I like that idea of staking, staying in the median price range, right? Cause that's where you look at a bell curve. That's where most of the homes are bought and sold in America. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, you get into the high. Like, I live in San Diego, California, right? The median house here now is, I think, five hundred fifty, six hundred thousand dollars. It's this is it's a ridiculous, ridiculous market. Basically, what I could buy for three hundred thousand dollars in Dallas is two million here. Um, To build in this kind of market would be a little scary. Would be very scary, right? but if you could figure out a way to acquire and build in this market at the two to three hundred thousand range, man, you crush it. Sure, it's just the the dirt is so expensive; it's not it's just not easy to do. So I think as long as you stay, you know, first time home buyers are basically getting locked out at this point. I mean, you know, we are we have quickly changed to a renters market um, in the United States because of all the pressure that's being put on the market right now. So I think it's I think it's a real unique opportunity if you can. I mean, if you can be building and you can stay right in the middle of the road, you know, apple pie, you are going to make a ton of money. I, this is why I think we're still a ways off from the market crash, or at least a correction, if you want to be more sensitive. Is, yeah, at uh, least a few years, I would say. Well, it's also, the banks are, st- it's still hard to get a loan. They're not, subprimes maybe are coming back a little bit. But even the subprimes that they are giving out today, <clears throat> they're still a lot better than they were back in 05, right? Um, so you, I think the prices are going up and in some markets, prices are, are, have already exceeded what they were at their peak in 2008, 2009, but the so fundamentals are better right now. I think. New construction is a lot more scalable than, uh, just plain old Jane rehabbing as well. So that's, you know, that's, that's a nice feature to it. But, um, yeah, you got, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be careful. I mean, some of my competitors, are doing some crazy numbers like you know they've got like <laughs> 40 or 50 in inventory right now it's just it's very cash intensive to uh to do that and i don't think i'd want to go to that volume <laughs> so uh, uh brent brent kent sorry kent. brent and kent yeah uh talk about because you you now are in florida you're you're sending these buyers over to memphis and you're now I like the, how you phrase this. And by the way, guys, everybody needs to go get this book, Reverse Wholesaling. Where, where can they get that, Kent? On Amazon. All right, just go to Amazon. 
Do you have a website you can send them to? Yeah, actually, they don't even want to pay for it. Just go to free, free ebook from Kent. Go there. And okay, good. Download it for free. Do stop. Pause this video podcast right now. Free. I'm writing this down. Free ebook from Kent. Yep. Dot com. And get this book for free. It's called Reverse Wholesaling. And read it. You'll be done in 30 minutes, maybe 45 yep. minutes if you're a slow reader. But it's one of the best books on real estate investing that I've ever read. And some of you may read it and think, oh, this is really basic. This is it. And I want to slap you across the head and say, no, you don't get it. This is it. This is the most important thing you could learn in the real estate business. And Kent, you talk about shopping versus selling. Um, shopping for what buyers want versus selling them what you have. Can you talk about the difference in that and why that's so important? Yeah. So let me, uh, let me take one step back for a second and kind of tell everybody where that came from. So, you know, when I was, again, I go back to the grocery industry. When I, my father and I started that business and the way I got to Florida from Memphis, Tennessee was our company was bought by a much larger corporation out of um, Boca Raton, Florida. So, which is completely at the other end of the spectrum from Memphis, Tennessee, right? I mean, you just Beverly Hillbillies here, right? I'm going down to Boca Raton, Florida and completely fish out of water. But when I, when I got down there, when they bought the company, what they really wanted, what, what they ultimately admitted to me was that what they really wanted was me. Uh, they wanted, they were effectively buying, we had this little business that was doing $50 million a year, but they were trying to recruit me to run their $800 million a year company. I'm 26 years old and it was extremely flattering, but, um, you know, I, I, ironically, I look back at it now and I'm like, man, it's amazing that they did that because, um, I was a kid, but in the end, I took over an $800 million a year business when I was 26. And by the time I was 30, it was doing $1.8 billion a year. And the way that happened, (laughs) the way that happened was exactly this concept that we're talking about is shopping versus selling. So what, again, I did not know it was unique back then. It's only, you know, as I've gotten distance from it that I realize it. But back then they could not figure out how we were growing so dynamically. And my whole philosophy was that when somebody would get that truckload of, let's just say, again, Kraft mac and cheese, what would happen is, is the distributor or the whole, the, they would pick up the phone and they would go call me and my five biggest competitors. And so we were all trying to ultimately go sell the same truckload of Kraft mac and cheese as fast as we could. And the moment we got it sold to somebody, then we would turn around and buy it, right? And that was the business. And so it was not unusual at all to, be, to waste a lot of energy on selling something and ultimately it being gone by the time you went to go buy it. Because you never wanted to buy something that you weren't really sure you could sell. And, and if you did do that, then you typically got hurt. So, Hey, Kent, big, curious. Yeah, sure. Is that business still going on today? Are people still doing that type they, of business? They, they still do it today. Absolutely. Wow. It happens today every day. It is a... Five to ten billion dollar a year industry, which is nothing because the grocery industry itself is re- roughly half a billion dollars. Uh, I mean, five hundred billion dollars, right? So it's one percent of half the market. a trillion. Yeah, nobody really cares that it happens, but it's a big, you know, 
when you're doing a couple billion dollars a year, I'm going to go tell you, you're not going broke. <laughs> wow. You're, you're, you're doing well. And the way uh, we grew so dynamically was basically I just went and said, hey, how about we do this? I know this is a novel concept, but why don't we just go to everybody that we currently sell these truckloads to? Right? We roughly probably had 500 customers. Let's go to every single one of them and ask them this. What would they want to buy from us if we could sell them anything, deliver it to them on any day, hmm. at any price, and in any quantity? What do you want to buy? And, you know, we'd look up inside of seven days and we had this massive, what we, back then we called a search list, right? We suddenly had this huge shopping list that said, man, I will pay, I want to buy 20 truckloads of Campbell's soup and I want to pay $45, well, it was real easy for us to turn around at that point and say, okay, they want to pay $45. let us go find it for 35 and we've got a, basically a built-in purchase order here. And so while my, all of our competitors were fighting over these same trucks, we are over here just going a completely different direction. We were going back to all the sources saying, go get this, go get this, go get this, go get this, and dictating the price to them. So suddenly we were telling the market what we wanted. We were protecting our margins. We were buying at the prices we wanted to buy. We knew exactly, we were making it so much easier on our sources because they were no longer having to guess. We were telling them, this is what we want. This is the quantity we want. This is the price we want to pay. And this is when we'll pick it up. And that's how we basically created another billion dollars a year in sales in less than 36 months. And so it seemed pretty elementary to me, you know, for lack of better ways of saying it, it seemed pretty straightforward and, you know, what common sense, why would you just not do it this way? Um, and so when I got into the real estate industry, one of the biggest challenges I saw was that every person that I was learning from, you know, Whitney and everybody was teaching me to go and get a property under contract, uh, basically go negotiate it down as far as I can negotiate it down. As the saying goes, if you weren't embarrassed by your offer, then it's too high. And magically, if I was able to get it under contract at the right price, then by turning around and just offering it to the market, the market would dictate to me whether that was good or not. So then I could go get a house under contract for $50,000, that supposedly would be worth $100,000, and then I would go to the RIA clubs and go to knock on doors or go make a few phone calls or call people out of classified ads and do all that stuff. And magically, somehow, because I had been so good at negotiating it cheaply, the right people would find me and they'd buy it for me. And, you know, go hang bandit signs and what have you. And I'm not going to tell you that doesn't work. I just thought it was pretty ridiculous, quite frankly. Um, Smart. And so, you know, out of necessity... Uh, the big epiphany happened to me after I'd been doing it for a couple of years and I had a brand new baby on the way. It just, I mean, I'd gone through a divorce. I'd lost a business. I got, got remarried, new baby on the way and basically wanted my time and quickly realized that I did not own a business. I owned a job and that if I just stopped working, stopped flipping, stopped doing anything, the whole business would shut down. And so I was like, man, there's got to be a better way here. So I basically started trying to think through what had made me successful in the grocery industry. And that was the one thing that I kept coming back to, shopping versus selling. And then I started trying to think through how I could actually do that. And 
What came of that was not only the philosophy of starting with the end in mind, dealing with the buyers first and finding out exactly what they want and then turn around and backing into what I needed to go buy, but even more uh, direct than that, um, I'm so grateful that I figured this out, but basically was going to the most rabid buyers. Um, I didn't care about the retail buyers. That's not the business we're all in. I didn't care about the the guy that was going to buy one house. I wanted the people that were going to buy over and over and over again. And um, I figured out that the people that were doing that were people that were paying cash because they were buying for investment. And so I took a trip down to Broward County Courthouse and started mapping out all of the people that I could see in the in the county records. So wait, wait, Ken, you were actually going to the county courthouse. There wasn't a software called Find Cash was, Buyers Now. That yeah, you could... no, there was no software. And there was no, this, this, was the, this was the good old days of going down to Broward County and camping out in a cubicle and looking at all of the recorded deeds the week before, physically looking at them, right? And then cross-referencing to see if a mortgage had been any kind of lien had been filed against that property at the exact same time and deducting, right? Okay. If this, if this person bought this house last week and there was no mortgage, then they must have paid cash and then handwriting each one of those down, bringing them back and sending them a letter by hand. And from that built, you know, a massively, massively, um, good buyers list, right? Because suddenly I was doing something that nobody was doing. This was in the, this was pre, you know, any software, anything else, nobody knew how to do this. And so I was all of a sudden just talking to all the, all the players and, and I was having a very different conversation, right? I was having a conversation with them about, Hey, listen, I know you're a cash buyer. I can see in the County records, you just paid cash, which was, which would floor them. Right. Um, I couldn't figure out how I was doing it. And then I was turning around and saying, listen, I, I, I want to be your guy. Tell me exactly what you want to buy, how many you want to buy, what part of the country, do you, you know, what neighborhood do you want to buy them in, what's the price you're willing to pay, what, how many square feet, bedrooms, baths, give me everything. Tell me what you want, give me your dream property and let me go create it. And so from my standpoint, marketing and systematizing that became very easy, right? Because now all of a sudden, instead of me guessing, like, you know, my education had taught me. Now I'm like, oh man, I know Steve will buy 10 houses in Pompano Beach, Florida for 150,000 to 175,000, 1,200 square feet, three bedroom, two bath, you know, $25,000 or less in rehab. I mean, I just knew exactly what they would buy and that they would pay cash and they'd close in 72 hours. And so now, instead of me wasting all this energy and going in all these different directions, I'm just focused on creating those 10 properties. Were you selling these mainly in your earlier career there? Were you having more luck with cash buyers as far as rehabbers, or were you working with the landlords? Uh, it was both. You know, people buying cash flow. It was both. I didn't, it was both, and quite frankly, I didn't care, You know, to be real honest about it. I just knew they were paying cash. What their reasoning was for them. It would come out as I was interviewing them. There were some that said, listen, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I need to get $1,800 a month in rent, so make sure it's in this neighborhood or that, that neighborhood. And there was others that, you know, they were basically buying it for a fix and flip. Um, sure. But the beauty, the beauty was is they would tell me the price they wanted to pay. So as a brand new investor, I mean, I knew this guy wanted to pay 165000 
So it became, became infinitely easier for me. I, well, I didn't care about anything else. I, I just knew the most I could pay was 145. I wanted to make $20,000. 145 was my number. That changed my business as well when um, I started getting to the point where I was confident that I knew I had people that were willing to buy properties rather than, I mean, you almost feel like a fish out of water. You're going out to this house, you're getting it under contract, and then you're like, okay, great, I got the contract. Now what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't even tell you how many sleepless nights. I mean, I told you that in my first couple of years, I did 90 deals. I bet you I lost at least 90 as well, right, that I put under contract and I was not able to get them flipped in time and just that gut-wrenching you know, sleepless night. What am I going to do? I mean, it's just a, that's just a brutal way to, it's not a business, quite frankly. It's a, you know, it's a job, it's an occupation and one that's not necessarily that much fun. So it became a lot more fun when I had, to your point, you know, I had the, I had the army behind me that was going to pull the trigger. All I had to do was just go execute on the front lines. You, you were talking about getting the stuff out of finding out what the buyers want. Um, I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear it from you, Kent. How do you get that information out of the buyers? Because a lot of times they're saying, oh, just send me a deal, and if it's good, I'll take it. How do you pull that information out of them? Well, I, th I think that's changed, right? So when I first started, I was nowhere near as good at this as I am today. When I first started, I, I did exactly what everybody else does, right? So now this has become pretty commonplace. You know, now if you're talking about working with cash buyers and everything, um, you know, over the last five years, that's just become part of, part of the vernacular. And, and people basically get a cash buyer on the phone and say, tell me what you're looking for. And they ask a pretty lazy question is what I call it. And so they get a pretty lazy answer. Typically a cash buyer is going to turn around and say, just send me what you got. And so I, I did that. And that's what I do. You know, when people call me up, I'm like, Oh no, here we go again. Here comes the string of questions. Here yeah. it comes. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, just send me what you got, man. <laughs> so here's, here's the couple things that I'll share with you that I think really make this work very well. Right. So as we've gotten really good at this, we, we, this is kind of what we perfected. Number one, people ask the big question that I think you got to start with Joe is people ask me, do I, do we call cash buyers directly? And the answer to that is absolutely, unequivocally, no. Yep. We never call them. Uh, we make them call us. So we always direct mail, and it only works every time because what happens is, is if you really think about it, the people that are going to call off of, a, off of a cash buyer letter are only people that truly need your help, right? Or else, why else would they ever call? Right? So we send a letter very specifically that says, I have access to inventory, uh, I know what you just bought, and if you want me to consider putting you on my buyers list, please give me a call, right? So there's some positioning that's done in that letter, that, that marketing piece that's very important. Very, very important. Right, and so it positions me as the leader. Uh, it positions me as somebody that's, that's got something they want. It answers a very specific marketing question being what's in it for me. And so the only kind of person that's going to respond to this is truly somebody that needs help. You really have to ask yourself this question. If you think about it, when was the last time you got a letter in the mail from a perfect stranger that you actually opened and you read it and the messaging was so compelling that you actually picked up the phone and called that individual, this stranger? And if you're honest with yourself, I'd say most of us would probably either say never 
or I might have done it once or twice in my life, right? But it doesn't happen very often. And so if you really think that's the extraordinary action that this individual just took. So this cash buyer who I've targeted just got this piece and they did this extraordinary action that I admittedly have never done in 46 years. So the, by virtue of calling me, I know they are interested. So that's a really important point because what happens is, is that puts me in the, in the driver's seat. That's the reason I don't call them. I need to be in the driver's seat. I need to control the conversation. I need to control the outcome. So by, you know, Alex, to your point, if somebody's calling you, the dynamic's very different. But if you were calling them, you might, your guard is a little bit less, you know, your guard's a little bit more down where you're like, man, I called you. I want to see how you can help me, right? And so when they call, then now we're in complete control of the conversation. And what we do is it's positioning. Is it, you know, the whole, the letter and the marketing we use is it, it basically, uh, it, it positions us, like I said, as the leader and as the simple fact that we matter and the simple fact that we can help you. But it's, and, you know, a very important line we have in that letter says, we will consider adding you to our buyer's list. So it puts us in the driver's seat to where we're having a conversation that says, listen, and I'll just give you an example, something along the lines of, of you know, we have a four-step process. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about us. I want to hear a little bit about you. I wanna, third step is I want to hear a little bit about the properties and what you're trying to do from an investment. And then fourth, uh, we'll figure out if we can actually do business together. And because I lay out that structure of the call, they're expecting me to walk them through a process. Kind of, It's called future pacing. It gives them the uh, understanding of what's getting ready to take place, makes them more inclined to be willing to go through that process with us, and they understand what's in it for them to go through that process. So when I go through and I, and I start talking to them, their guard is slowly coming down because they understand that they're going, there's a benefit to them. And we go through, and I basically tell them, listen, if you can't go through this process with us, then we're not a good fit for you. I, what I do is really special. I don't go find anything. I create inventory for you, Mr. Cash Buyer, specific to you. This is what it looks like to do business with me. If you want the very best working for you, then this is the process you need to go through. If this is too much, if you can't give me five minutes to go through this process, then we're simply not a good fit, which is okay. Because I say no to guys like you all day long. And that kind of positioning, you it's, it's I mean, as crazy as it's, it sounds, it's powerful. it works. It's it really powerful. does. We added, uh, you have that phrase in your letters too that says, we are the premier real yes. estate. So even if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you could say, we are one of the premier real estate investing companies in the Midwest <laughs> or something like that, well, right? Yeah, because here's, you know, the reason why we use that word very specifically is because premier doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's good. It, means, it only means something in the reader's mind, right? I mean, in other words, premier to one person will be the best. Premier in another means number one. Premier in another one just means the most trustworthy. It means whatever that reader that is funny. It, wants it to mean. But it does, you're not being untruthful. You're not being anything. You're just saying- The we truth are, is in the eye of the- or the ears of the listener, I guess. Right. I'm the premier real estate wholesaler in the market right now. What does that really mean? Whatever the hell you need it to mean. You, there's still things that you can do to pull it out of them. Like, Alex, you, you got a new investor that calls you up. And you're thinking, oh, here we go again, right? Um, but, you know, yeah, if, because they, if they have the confidence and they ask you things like, oh, come on, Alex. I know you probably get a lot of these calls, but, you know, just tell me. 
we can find what's the phrase you just used, Kent? It was really good. We we don't we find the inventory. Well, yeah, here's here's the difference, right? So if I was on the phone with Alex, I would, it would, it, first off, again, I would stress that I would never call outbound. He would be calling me. Sure, yeah. But it would. But here's what I think. You know, anybody that's listening to this, here's here would be the big thing to, to take away. In order for any prospect to go down the path you need them to go down, you have to answer one very specific question, and that is, "What's in it for me?" Period. Right. If you don't answer that question, they will not willingly go along. Hmm. So if I am on that phone, I'm like, listen, we are the premier real estate investment company in Memphis, Tennessee. At the end of the day, I specialize in creating off-market inventory for my clients. I give them VIP concierge service. I go out and listen to every one of their needs and wants, and then I go manufacture that inventory through my own resources, my team, my energy. We make it happen for you without you having to lift a finger. All I'm going to do with you is I'm going to pick up the phone and call you and say exactly what you want. Here it is on a silver platter. Now you get to decide right now, Alex, do you want me working for you or you want me working against you? Haha. <laughs> that's that that's that's great because that immediately puts you like, oh wow, I don't want you to be my competitor. Well see yeah. <laughs> Kent Kent just dropped the mic and he kissed his two fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. But that's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean by positioning. That's what I mean about controlling the conversation, controlling it from the very beginning, right? The 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 frame of having somebody call you and believe you are worthy of their time so much that they're calling a perfect stranger is really important in that dynamic um, because I have the power, right? They won't call me unless they need me. And so by virtue, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier, it becomes infinitely easier to go make offers when you know you've got somebody behind you. The same dynamics work in here. This, make, this becomes a lot easier to do when I know the only reason you call me is because you need me. Yeah. And so I get, it gives me a lot of confidence to be who I need to be in order to get the information I need. And then, you know, I, we instruct all of our guys and, and girls that are on the phone, you don't get off that phone until you feel like you could actually go buy a property that ultimately, if we so chose to do, you could sell it to that person, that you felt very confident that you knew exactly what they would buy from us. Otherwise, you've got more work to do. Keep going. Keep asking. If it's anything, it's just, you know, what would make you happy? If I brought you this smoking hot deal, what would make you wet your pants and drop what you're doing and buy it? <laughs> what maybe, would make you wet your pants? <laughs> All right. Maybe you shouldn't out. say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but think you know, about it, I, mean, I mean, think about it like this, right? So they're used to getting people, kind of like Alex, you were talking about earlier. They're used to getting the guy that, or girl that just went to the three-day event, right? You know, the circus came to town. They got a little bit of education. Yes, and, that's right. And they get the novice on the phone and, you know, you just roll your eyes like, oh, my God, right? And so this is different. This is a completely different dynamic, and you need to make sure they understand that very quickly. And don't ask lazy questions, right? You, because you're going to get lazy answers. But if you're very direct, very upfront, don't ask lazy questions. That's good. I am in charge. My business matters. My time matters. Your time matters. I'm here to help you. You called me. Let's figure out how to work together. And again, answer that question, what's in it for me, then, then you will get what you need. Otherwise, um, you know, you're just going to get that same old, oh, you know, just send what's, me everything you got. And if somebody says that to you, by the way, 
just send me what you got. Just say, listen, you know what? I'm sure there's somebody else out there be more than willing <laughs> to do that. I'm not your guy. I specialize in working with the best of the best. If that's what you need me to do, I'll let somebody else handle your business. And What's again, the worst lazy question somebody can ask, like an investor? What would be a, a typical lazy question? Uh, what, what, what's a good deal for you? What are you looking for? There you for? go. <laughs> what are you for? It's the one that always gets me. I mean, but Joe, you said something earlier, right? I think another good point here is the one that always gets me, and this is a really powerful word, right? Do not say, I, I can find you deals. No, do not. I create opportunity. That's good. Very good. Because that makes me valuable. Very good. I create opportunity. Maybe that's what we should call this podcast. I specialize, specialize in creating off-market inventory, right? That's a key phrase we say because, again, I'm clearly outlining what's in it for me. Yeah. Yeah, this is, guys, this is why I wanted Kent on the show, okay? This is gold right here. So important. Again, I want to... I, I I have a kind of a testimonial I'll, I'll share with you in just a minute of what we started implementing this stuff in St. Louis. And within about three, four months, we were doing about four or five deals a week. Um, I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, this is so cool. Now, can, can you talk about the whole turnkey strategy? Um, does the way, can you talk about the way that Memphis Invest does it and how would you tell somebody who's just getting started, maybe doesn't have their own property management company yet or their own crews, how they could get started doing something similar to what Memphis Invest does as a turnkey operation? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, when I started taking everybody up to Memphis and then we had other people that were buying in Memphis and our brother started bringing in people from Colorado and before we knew it we had a lot of people that were buying from out of state and from out of area and we quickly realized that here we are wholesaling properties to people and they don't have the resources the mechanisms to actually do the work from from rehab standpoint and certainly don't have the mechanisms from a property management standpoint so um, the way we got into the turnkey business this was not something that we set out to do in any way, shape, or form. This was a product of wanting to sell more houses, right? So here we have this business, and we are hamstringing our customers. I'm selling you know, Joe McCall a house, and then he can't do anything for 90 days, 120 days, 180 days. Well, guess what? Joe can't buy another house from me uh, while all that's going on. So we saw an opportunity that we needed to solve a problem quickly because we wanted to sell Joe more houses. You know, I'm just using it as an example. Um, so we stepped in and put our own rehab crews in place. We don't own any of those crews. We don't, you know, we do now, but back then we did not own a rehab company. We had a, some contract, some general contractors we were working with that had their own crews. And so we basically had uh, a couple individuals in our offices there in Memphis that kind of oversaw the projects, kept us, kept us abreast of it. It was really a, a, a service that we never really made any money at, but we were providing it again with the big picture of, man, if we can just speed up the time um, uh, of these projects, then, then our client's going to come back around into our sales cycle. So our clients were 
you know, taking 60, 90, 120 days to do stuff. And by the time we got to full scale where we were doing, you know, we had seven full crews going, we were able to do a complete rehab start to finish in, you know, a little over 20 days. Um, and so from an efficiency standpoint, saving them money, moving them through our sales process, it started working. Well, we did basically did the exact same thing in property management. Uh, property management is a horrible business. Um, I would not wish it on my worst enemy, right? We finally have, we finally have scale, right? We now manage 3,700 properties. We're one of the largest property management companies in the state of Tennessee and in, in the state of Texas. But it's, again, more of a necessity. We're just trying to take the headaches away from our clients and make it easier for them to transact with us, right? If I can just take away the excuses, if I can take away the obstacles, break down the walls, then it just makes it easier for them to say yes. So we started in the property management business, and, and I don't think we actually made any money in it until we got into you know probably four or 500 properties that we had under management. Um, but then, then began to, to bring it to scale. But what it was doing for us is it was taking away the headache. And so I would tell people that, we our turnkey business is truly turnkey, soup to nuts, right? From the moment we we buy a property, you know, we were wholesalers, strictly wholesalers for many many years. Now we're much more than that. But we buy the properties, we turn around and we rehab the properties. We put a tenant in place. We own the property management company. We own the rehab company. We own the customer service department. We own we own everything. Uh, we have we have the insurance, we have the financing. We truly make it brain dead, very very simple for the most passive investor to get involved. Um, as we started doing that, we noticed you know there's a lot of other people started doing the same thing over the years. They noticed you know it's it's kind of funny. We trained a lot of our competitors, and I, and I say that as a badge of honor, not as anything else. And through our systems, through our education, through actually demonstrating it in our own markets. A lot of people have kind of taken their signals and kind of run with it in their own in their own markets, which we're very proud of. Uh, I think a key differentiator is that we kind of we control it all, right? Where a lot of brand new investors can quote, you know, can can offer quote unquote turnkey services, is they really are more of the facilitator. In other words. Um, they have found people that will provide these services in a market, um, so it solves a lot of the same problems, but they just don't actually own the operations. Does that make sense? And so that makes it easy for – I think it just it's rooted at the point of you have to be a problem solver. And if you're just wholesaling properties to people that, that – especially in a passive way or especially people from out of state, you have to provide resources and solutions for them to yeah. get the most out of that investment. And so whether that's you or whether that's the, somebody you're connecting them with, I think brand new investors can do that. They just have to find you know, the best property management company to partner with. They have to find the best contractors to partner with. And they've got to um, you know, really keep their eye on the ball as they're doing that kind of stuff. But I think it's, if you're doing it in the, with the idea behind it of solving problems for your out-of-state investors, because your, your local investors are going to going to be able to do what they need to do but your out-of-state investors yeah. which are massive opportunities by the way um they need those resources and again i go back to this what we figured out right a, a huge part of our growth uh over the years because last year we had 626 properties um and so what we figured out is that in large part 
the money is not in your local market. So a lot of people that are listening to this, you know, in the middle of America, like I had a guy in my office today that's in, in Nebraska. And middle America looks really, really attractive from a cash flow perspective when you are in some of these, you know, coastal communities where all this money is, but there's just very, it's very difficult to make money in real estate. For example, San Jose. I was just reading this morning, the median household in San Jose or home in San Jose is $950,000. I mean, are you kidding me? Right? It's insane. So, I mean, that's a house is a million dollars. That's just the average. And so what we figured out is that, man, if we can go to all those people that have all that cash, Southern California, Northern California, New York, Chicago, Florida, Texas, and we can turn around and show them Memphis, Tennessee, or Dallas, Texas, or Houston, Texas, or wherever, right? Where they can buy a three-bedroom, two-bath home built, you know, in 2005 that they can pay $120,000 for it and get $1,500 a month rent, and we do everything for it. That looks really, really attractive from an investment perspective. Well, yeah, and, and you're not even, you're not the low price leader in Memphis. Oh, no, we, we are exactly the opposite of the low price leader. <laughs> yeah, but you're the value leader, which is why you can charge such a premium. It's not even a huge premium. I'm just saying that, yeah, you could, you could sell deals cheaper than what you do uh, to investors, but they're buying the value that you're giving to them, which yeah. is a total turnkey I mean, if you look at if you look at what you know, one of my mentors and good friends, Frank Kern, he talks about this all the time: intrinsic value versus practical value. Yeah. You know, practical value of, of all of us is that we buy and sell houses, and a house is a house is a house. It is what it is, right? And so, all the money is made in the intrinsic value. Period. So, by providing all these services, by you know, we we have this exceptional customer experience that we take a lot of pride in, right? We we. We spend uh, $30,000 a year on sending out basically what we call a culture book, that, an idea that we borrowed from Zappos, where we um, allow our clients to basically, it almost looks like an, a yearbook, right? Basically, Memphis Invest in Dallas, we take pictures throughout the entire year of everything that's going on in our community. We put together this cool book and we send it to all of our investors so they kind of experience this with us. And we just create this customer experience where people realize, man, these guys are not only taking care of my property, they're taking care of me. I'm part of this whole thing with them. They're more than willing to pay a little bit more to have that kind, to be dealing with the best of the best of the best. And, and guys, we all do this. I mean, there's every one of us have paid a premium to stay at the nicest hotel or to buy the nicest car or whatever. It's the same concept. You know, we could all stay at Motel 6 if we wanted to. The reality is, is we don't. So, because what of type of cash flow are these guys uh, or are these investors usually buying? Like, what's a minimum cash flow? They're typically getting you know an eight to twelve percent yield every year. I mean, so it really depends on you know what market they're in. There's some that are obviously significantly higher. There's some that are um, you know basically the minimum is going to be about eight percent. But they're basically if you get a you know let's call it a a hundred and $20,000 property, it could be a lot more if they're putting financing in place. You know, they put uh, some of these people are financing through using their self directed IRAs. Some are just using traditional Fannie and Freddie financing. Some have got local lines of credit, whatever the case may be, right, that they're using on these properties. 
Uh, if they do that, it'll be significantly higher, right? Um, but if they just pay strict cash, I think it's fair to say they're probably getting 10% a year after everything. Yeah, that's after everything. That's after yeah. management, maintenance, repairs. Management, maintenance, vacancy, repairs, everything. And they're doing it in a, in a very so painful environment. cap rate is when you uh, take uh, all your expenses uh, out for the year and divide it by the uh, amount of cash flow coming in. Is that right? Net operating income, yeah, would be your cap rate. Yep. Um, now, Kent, you have a big, you have a big operation. Um, you're still doing finding cash buyers the old-fashioned way, right? Getting out there and sending direct mail and getting on the phone and talking to these guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, what we do today is um, we, you know, as as our business grew, uh, we had to figure out a way to automate the whole cash buyer part of it. And that's why I say I was very grateful that that happened to me because you talk about being in the right place at the right time. Um, going and and using that cash buyer methodology and going and searching public record and all that. I mean, that was a lifesaver back when the market crashed because the bank, the bank stopped lending yet. We didn't care. Our business grew. Actually our business doubled when the recession hit and most investors went out of business. Our business actually doubled because we were only dealing with people that were paying cash. All those people were, you know, people looking for a deal. So they came in hot and we were just right there. Um, This works in any market, whether it's going up or down. Oh, totally. Because there's always somebody paying cash. Exactly. And they're always investors, right? Rarely does somebody pay cash for a house where it's their primary residence. I mean, it does happen. You know, as soon as I say that, somebody always lights me up. Oh, I just paid cash. Okay, so rarely does that happen. But um, most people, I would say, uh, you know, 90, 99% of people, if they're paying cash, they're buying for some investment vehicle. And so if that's true, the beauty of dealing with cash buyers is they are investors. They're looking for a return. And the beauty of that is that they will buy multiples. It's not their primary residence where you're going to sell them one house and then they're going to never talk to them again. They're going to buy over and over and over and over and over again. And so as we, this became the lifeblood of our business, we needed a way to automate that. And so we started writing software to do that. And ultimately, you know, over the course of a year or so, it became uh, fine cash buyers now. I mean, basically the way that entire thing came about was we had this piece of software. We were using it. We were using it all over the country secretly. Nobody knew about it. Um, and then a very good friend of mine, Than Merrill, he and I were talking. I showed him what we were doing. He's like, man, you got you to gotta show that. We gotta, you got to get that out there in the world. Nobody's doing this. Hmm. And so um, he really encouraged me. That's basically how I got into the education game. I mean, he was like, man, you got to show people this. And so we started showing people that piece of software improved on it, you know, time and time again. And before we knew it, we had a piece of software that was being used by tens of thousands of people all over the country, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you, man. It was pretty scary stuff because, you know, when you're talking about releasing a piece of software that basically gives away your secret, you're not just giving it to the general public. I was giving it to my competitors. Suddenly all my competitors had the same, you know, they, I was showing them, this is how I'm beating you. Um, so back to the whole intrinsic value thing, we had to figure out, I mean, this, you know, really what our value proposition was, but now, you know, I would, I wouldn't change anything. That was 2009. Now we, you know, I think last time I count, there's 22,000 users on that piece of software. We did the same thing with private lenders. 
turned around and a couple years ago, Chris Richter and I did it with uh, vacant properties. So we've, we've created these systems, this automation and automation using data. And we've, we've exploited it to the, to the nth degree, right? I mean, it drives our business today and I know drives many other, many investors' businesses out there. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for it. <laughs> we use fine cash buyers now all the time. This is one of the points I wanted to bring up too, is you should always be marketing for buyers. Uh, you should never stop or get comfortable with the buyers you have. You should always be marketing for buyers. Every time I hear somebody complain about a market that they're in where they were wholesaling deals and now it's becoming harder or they're looking to do deals in other markets, that's cool. Okay, you can do it in other markets. But usually it's because they their buyers aren't good anymore and they stopped marketing for buyers and they stopped looking for new buyers to work with. Am I right? Say that one more time, Joe. You cut out on me on the last part. Oh, I, I, I apologize. Thing you said. My, my point was that you should always be marketing for buyers. Oh, totally. Yeah, always totally. be marketing for I buyers. Mean, I, I, I made that mistake one time, and I will never make it again. Yeah. Right? You always look for buyers and look for money when you don't need them. The cool thing about Find Cash Buyers now is you can find the buyers who are buying not just in your market but in other markets as well, which is pretty amazing and very ninja. Actually, I'm also using find motivated sellers now. Um, I love it for it's just the simplicity, right? If I want to get a list, there's really only two lists that you need to mail to for sellers. Um, absentee owners and high equity owner occupants, right? And it's pretty convenient and nice if you know these are the zip codes you want to target. And you can pull a list of high equity owner occupants and find motivated sellers now. And you could even send, use the software to send mail to the sellers from right inside of there if you wanted to, which is amazing. Um, Ken, I wanted to ask you a question about Find Motivated Sellers Now. Sure. Uh, how um, the high equity, I've always wondered this, uh, how do you define high equity in Find Motivated Sellers Now, the software? So what we are doing is we are looking at, again, we take public record, right? So we go in and we look at over 100 million properties uh, every two weeks, and we're looking at all of the outstanding liens against that property. And every property has a tax-assessed value, which is typically significantly lower than the retail value. Uh, so we basically say, okay, you know, this retail value of this house, in theory, might be $300,000. Well, the tax-assessed value might be something like two, 220 all we have access to through public record is what the tax assessed value. So we look at that $220,000 and we look at all of the liens against that property. And what we define as high equity is every property that less than 25% is owed on the liens. So let's just do 200,000 for sake of round numbers. So on a $200,000 piece of property, that means that less than $50,000 is owed on that property on any liens that are outstanding up to and including it could be free and clear. So that's high equity in our list. Yeah. And you get that from a basic calculation of time, right? I mean, if you know, cause you don't know what the principal balance on that loan still is, but you know, if it's 10 years old, it's probably 15 years old. That's maybe where it's at. You cut out again, John, uh, Jose. Again? One more time. You're fine. You're fine. Just keep going. Say it one more time. The so the, you can't get from public records what the principal balance is, right, of that loan. But do you looking at when the loan was created and using 
projections of what the loan balance? Well, it depends would be? on it depends on which which county we're pulling it from, right? Okay. So every county does it differently. So yes, there are some that uh, we can't get the principal balance on. There's some that we're basically looking at the time of the loan versus when the loan was filed and, and the terms of the loan. Uh, there's some that we can just say. I mean, that there's many counties, believe it or not, that will just tell us they update that um, periodically with the current uh, lien balance is. Do not ask me how they get it. I, I don't ask the questions. I just kind of get the data, and we will use that data. Nice. Very, very good. The beauty of it, the beauty of what we're doing here is, you know, we don't create, um, well, when it comes to private lenders and it comes to high equity and it comes to cash buyers, that is strictly a function of all public record, right? So we're not really creating anything. Uh, we're basically doing a lot of scrubbing we're doing a lot of filtering out we're you know we've got uh, on the private lender side we're really kind of looking at behavioral data we're looking at people that are acting like the bank and we can see that they have they're loaning money but they're but they're not actually the owner of record i mean there's a lot of different things we're looking at but it's but it's all a matter of public record the vacants we are using you know 20 i think last time i checked 23 different data sources that we cross-reference to kind of to um, effectively deduct that that is a vacant property. Um, but again, I, I share it because most of this is just a function of data that is out there that is really, really challenging to get. We just make it really, really easy to get. Very good. Good, good, good. Kent, you've been really uh, valuable. Uh, your time is really valuable and you've, you've been very generous with your time and we appreciate it. And uh, where can people go to get more information? We didn't even talk about real estate worldwide and all the other stuff you've got going on. Um, this has been invaluable. I think this has been really good. Where can people go to get more information about um, getting in touch with you, getting in touch with the software that you're talking about, or even real estate worldwide? So the easiest place to find out about the software and to find out about real estate worldwide is just go to reww.com, right? It's it's a there's a lot of resources on there. You can find out plenty of information about our software, who we are, what we're about. Um, if you want to connect with me personally, you can go to kentclothier.com. My blog is there. A lot of education is there. Videos, kind of what makes us tick, all that kind of good stuff. Or connect with me uh, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash kent.clothier. And so those are probably be the three places I tell you, reach out to us and we happily help any way we possibly can. Excellent. Good, good. Alex, are you still there? I am here, yes. Great call. Yeah, this is really good. It's good to be reminded of this basic, simple stuff, isn't it? Um, it it's, it it's, it's easy to get comfortable and to get kind of in your groove and forget about these simple things with creating opportunity, right? Um, thinking about positioning, thinking about what's in it for me, not asking lazy questions. Because I, I admit, sometimes I get into that place where I'm starting to ask lazy questions. Oh, yeah. That's Absolutely. Why, that's why I love you know, and it. And it goes back to even, you know, like dealing with uh, a seller. Or even, you know, you could... You, you could if you don't go into work every single time and take a shortcut where you know you may go in a contract go in and get a contract in a house on 15 in 10 or 15 minutes if you don't lay the groundwork 
um, that the chances are higher that that seller is going to shop you even though they have the contract and be a little bit of a pain along the way rather than if you went in there, built the rapport and, uh, and invested that time, you know, same thing, same thing with buyers. Yeah. Totally. Very, very good. Free book from Kent.com, a free ebook, free ebook from Kent.com is where you can get reverse wholesaling. You guys got to go there. Just do it right now. Get that book, read it. If you want more information about Kent, kentclothier.com or reww.com for real estate worldwide. We'll have all those links in the show notes, and uh, you can get your all this good free stuff there. Thanks again, Kent. We sure appreciate it. You got awesome. it, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care, everybody. Realestateinvestingmastery.com is where you can get the show notes, guys. You can uh, see the – usually you put tweetables, and you, we have some good tweetables on this podcast, so – Go check that out. If you like the podcast, leave us a review in iTunes. All right. Take care, guys. See you. Bye-bye. See you.